Welcome to Season 4 of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders every week to help you navigate the economic and investing landscape. And now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week on the 11th day of February 2021. The presidential impeachment trial has uh, begun in the Senate, and we're watching uh, House uh, prosecutors uh, make their case, and pretty much it doesn't seem like anybody's ultimately going to care. Markets certainly don't care as they're making new highs. Ten-year Treasury is right around 1.15 percent. The dollar has been hanging in there, and markets, here we are, making new all-time highs. Bitcoin has been making new all-time highs. People keep telling me how they wor- how worried they are about where prices are. So we've got a great forecast for you this morning. We're going to start with the great Kenny Polcari, of course. Uh, in our first segment, we've gotten Kenny to come back, the voice of the New York Stock Exchange, Dan Mahaffey, to talk about what's really going on on Capitol Hill. And will, you know, President Biden's agenda be really hurt by these impeachment trials? And it seems as if they will. And Dan's going to explain to us why President Biden's agenda is going to be hurt by President Trump's impeachment trial. And then uh, finally, uh, in segment three, we're going to draw it all together for you. We're going to have uh, one of our more famous uh, market commentators, uh, Jenny Harrington, is going to be with us. She is one of the newer voices on CNBC and just terrific uh, and going to explain as we knit all of Wall Street, Washington, and the world together, what that might mean for your portfolio coming up. Right now, uh, my friend, Kenny Polcari, good morning, brother. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm great, pal. Welcome I'm, back. I, well, thank you very much for having me. I'm actually anxious to hear uh, Dan Mahaffey talk about why uh, the Trump impeachment is going to affect or how it's going to affect the Biden, the Biden agenda. So it's going to be interesting to, to listen to his analysis on that. Yeah, you know, uh, Kenny, as, I, as, as I've been talking with Dan, and I don't, uh, it, you, you, you'll get the big punchline when we talk to Dan in a little bit, but I think generally uh, a lot of um, uh, Republicans are being forced to vote out in the open, and those who don't support President Trump will not support. So if they're in a position basically against going against the Trump base, they're going to have to go against the Biden agenda to stay in office rather than alienate the Trump base of voters. So uh, everybody up there is trying to figure the Solomon-esque way to split the baby, and it's yeah. just a mess, just yeah. a mess. It's uh, interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way, but, you know, it's an interesting take on it. So I guess as this unfolds, we're all going to find out. Dan's going to explain it to us, and, and it, he really is one of the most brilliant guys I get to talk to in Washington. He's so thoughtful. I mean, and uh, I've been out with him and his family, you know, and they all kind of roll their eyes at him when he gets into one of his intellectual diatribes and they just sort of say, well, there he goes again. Did you understand any of that? You know, right, right. He's, he's, he's that smart. Nobody ever does that to me, Kenny. You know, <laughs> they, never, they never look up and go, God, that was so smart. Did anybody understand? That never happens to me. So, Kenny, uh, we bring you in, uh, of course, uh, because you're very, very smart. Uh, tell us, what do you think about markets making new highs? We were looking for a correction. We got about a 4% correction. Was that it? No, I don't think that was it. And it is frustrating because there's not a whole lot that's new that we don't already know. Uh, 
that would cause the markets to go higher, right? If there was really new information, I could understand why the market's going high. But everything we're hearing, whether it's earnings, right, whether it's the the stimulus plan, whether it's the Trump uh, the Trump impeachment, whether it's Fed rates. Yesterday, the Fed came out, you know, promised once again to keep rates lower. Well, that's not new news. It's not like we thought they were going higher. And he goes, oh, no, by the way, we're going to stay low. They're going to be low. They've already told us it's going to be low for another 24 months. Right. Goldman thinks it's going to be low for another three years. And so um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit uh, uh, confused on why they keep going higher. But notice Every time they try to push a little bit higher, they get a little bit less so. So it feels to me that it is it is tiring. It is finally tiring. Now, look, that 4% move we had, you know, a couple of weeks ago, right. I, I actually thought that could have turned into the 7% or 8% move that, I, that I'm looking for. Uh, but I think there's that FOMO trade, right? That fear of missing out. People think, right. well, it's gotten away from me. So anytime it pulls back, let me jump in, let me jump in. And so that expectation that it's going to go lower is exactly the reason why it may not go higher at the moment. But once everybody piles in, then who's left? And that's kind of the issue, right? You know, we're back to that thing. And people get mad at me when I say this of the late 90s, Kenny, yeah. uh, with that dot com craze. And, yeah. and when as soon as I say it out loud, I get attacked by people saying, no, this is not it. I can I can hear yeah. Rick Santelli yelling at me right now going, no, that's not it. But yeah. listen, folks, in the late 90s, there were surges in stocks that were inexplicable. You couldn't actually explain why the damn things were going up. So right. let me let me let me just give you a couple of examples. Let's talk about Tesla for a minute. Why is it still going up? Why is it so much? I mean, no earnings and it just goes through the roof. And I understand it's a concept, but that's what they told us in the late 90s. It's a concept. Bitcoin. Bitcoin's gone up. You got something that's gone up $15,000, $15,000 in a couple of weeks, okay? And you ask anybody why, and they want to tell you about cyber currencies and why cyber. I mean, you, there's a list of things that just keep going up. All of these SPACs that, that start surging in price, and there's nothing in them. I've got, I'm watching a SPAC that's gone from 10 to 17. They've announced one deal that's not going to close until May. I mean, maybe it's a good deal. Okay, I hope it's a good deal. But, I mean... There's some silliness going on out there, and people don't want to miss out, and they're riding momentum, Kenny. And, you know, you bring up SPACs, and I put it in my note this morning, because there have been more SPACs that have come to the market in the last six months. There are not enough unicorn or non-unicorn companies out there for these SPACs to buy. And, yeah. so, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see how they come together or not, because I agree with you. I think there is I think there is that absolute 1999 frothiness where you can't explain things. Listen, Bitcoin, you might be able to explain it a little bit. I don't think any longer that it's going away. But then when you start to get adoption by people like uh, uh, Elon Musk and Tesla and using Tesla's money to you know, establish a $1.5 billion position in it, or then you think about what's Apple gonna do and is Jeff Bezos and Jazzy now gonna let that opportunity go by? Are they jumping on? And so you can start to see where that momentum will pick up. Um, and, so, and so that one maybe is a little bit more understandable, but uh, I, I'm not sure necessarily that it's gonna be a $500,000 asset by the end of the year, the way, the way that Mike Novogratz says it's gonna be. Well, you know, Kenny, and I wrote about this in my weekly. Kenny writes a daily note, and and you you really ought to subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. Kenny, where do we get your note? Just tell people because you I think can, it's very important. You can get it on my website, kennypolkari.com. Just scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, and there's a big subscribe button. Just put your email address in there and click go. Then you'll get a confirm email. Just click on that. You should be good to go. 
You know, I've written my note this week. It's going to come out today. Uh, I think Harry Jennings, if you jump in and just tell us if that when that when that note's going out, yeah, um, should be. Uh, it actually should be out before we get the uh, before we get this show out. So by the time you're listening to this, you should be able to go over to the farmmiller.com website. And uh, click on get today's note, because what I talk about today is tracking earnings is the title of it. And if you're wondering why stock prices keep going up, my most likely explanations are the Fed. uh, You know, you listen to Jay Powell say we're we're sticking on our uh, sticking with plenty of accommodation, trillions more in fiscal uh, stimulus uh, coming in. But the other thing is actually earnings are going up and earnings estimates are going up and earnings are coming in well ahead of expectations. So there is a little bit of a fundamental groundswell uh, here, Kenny. I mean, 2021 estimates now are at up 24% growth rate over last year, which was a dismal year, but 15% for 2022. And according to facts, at another 12% for 2023. I mean, right. that's powerful earnings growth. Does that, that, that persuade is, you to own this? That, it is powerful earnings growth, but you know, though, and those are long, uh, long expectations. And so a lot can change in the next, you know, six months, eight months, 10 months. And so uh, you can't put that much, uh, or at least I don't put that much uh, 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 credibility in, in estimates that go out that far. I think you have to take it uh, a little bit more slowly, especially considering where we are with this pandemic, what the economy is doing. Look, we're, we're, the market's already pricing in this this recovery in the economy. It's already pricing in all the expected uh, uh, activity that's going to happen, right? And so I think I still think it's a little bit ahead of itself. That it's a so little Kenny, bit stretched. Look, so yeah, you, the, you think it's a little bit ahead of itself, and I get that, and I, I think it's very fully priced. And I'm sort of getting right. to that point where I just start scratching my head, saying I don't get it. I mean, you know, okay, maybe all this cash coming in, maybe all this other stuff's going on, maybe it'll keep it up for a long time. Maybe right. we're not going to have inflation forever. All the stuff that old guys who've been doing this for a while. And, 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 and I, you know, I'm sorry to call us both old. I did something great. I did something great this morning, Kenny, uh, before the show. Now it's, it's, uh, just before eight o'clock here on the East coast, as we are recording the forecast, uh, somewhere about an hour ago, uh, Laurie and I called our friend, uh, one of our friends in the UK, Sir Jeremy McKenzie and Sir Jeremy, we wish you a very happy 80th birthday today. Uh, may all of us look anywhere near and and be as active as you are at age 80. So, Kenny, I got to remind uh, myself this morning that, um, you know, one of my dearest friends is 80 years old and he's in great shape. So we're not that old, Kenny. But we have seen this. And Kenny's, of course, older than I am. But uh, we've seen seen this before, Kenny. What do you tell investors give some advice please to fred and ethel who are trying to make sense of this market these levels and saying you know shouldn't i sell should i raise cash what should i do when i see markets here so i think i think that's exactly right and those are fair questions and they are questions that you should have with your advisor but here's the deal a once again it depends on where fred and ethel are in the you know in the in the life uh, cycle, right? Are they 40? Are they 50? Or are they 70? So that's going to be the first conversation. The second conversation is, you know, as long like I'm up at this level now where I'm saying, look, I'm invested in the market. Clients are invested in the market. That money that's invested is participating in this rally. So don't anyone feel like they're missing out. And proper planning is going to tell you and I, and we both know this, that uh, when it's time to rebalance based on price, you should be trimming and rebalancing and raising some capital. You shouldn't necessarily rebalance on the calendar. You should rebalance on pricing. And I think that's where that's where there's a, a misguided 
uh, notion about people that balance quarterly or biannually. They just balance, rebalance on the calendar versus rebalancing on pricing. And I think that's a key. So if you have that conversation with your advisor and your advisor's on top of it, he or she is the one that's going to say to you, it's time to trim this a little bit. We can keep a core position, but we're going to raise some cash and take some off the table. I think that's absolutely the proper way to do it. And, and Fred and Ethel should feel confident that their advisor is on top of that and that they have a well-balanced portfolio. Yeah. You know, one of the problems, too, with rebalancing is, OK, you can do it on market moves, but, you know, then you have to sort of decide, do I do it if I'm, you know, if I'm a fit? So if I'm a 60, 40 sort of a equity to fixed income allocation, do right. I do it at 63 percent? I mean, that doesn't seem to be a much of a move. Do I have a range that lets me go from 60 to 70 percent in equities, which is something I always encourage? Give yourself some flexibility. You can't be if, if you take every profit as soon as it comes along, you're never going to let your profits run. You make money in stocks by letting your profits run. And, right? And agreed. And so that's why it is very dynamic. Investing is not so static. Right? Right. That, and you make the point. It's more dynamic. So there's got to be some flexibility. But like you say, at some point when things become hard to explain, then that's kind of a knock on the door saying, OK, maybe we need to have this conversation and start to raise a little bit of cash and trim some of these positions that have gotten well ahead of themselves. Yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely right. All right. You heard you can get his newsletter on KennyPolcari.com. I would encourage you to go do that. Uh, one of the greatest uh, voices on Wall Street, one of the wisest guys out there. Kenny, thanks so much. We hope you'll come back. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with Dan Mahaffey to try and figure out what in the holy hell is going on in Washington. When we come back on the forecast, please stay with us. Thank you for joining us on this week's forecast. We'd like to invite you to follow Michael on Twitter and LinkedIn. On his social media feed, you'll find links to all of Michael's media appearances, articles he's been quoted in in such newspapers as the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post, and of course, the Farcast. Additionally, Michael shares some of the articles we are reading at Farmiller in Washington every morning that we feel have bearing on the investing landscape. That's Michael underscore K underscore Farr on Twitter and Michael Farr on LinkedIn. And now, back to Michael and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr. We are back with the Farcast. Thanks so much for being with us again this week. It's the 11th day of February, and joining us now, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Uh, we're so glad that Dan's with us again. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Michael. Good to be back here with you. We're very happy you're here. Uh, Dan, I kind of gave a little bit uh, of a glimpse into thoughts by Mahaffey about why uh, this impeachment trial could be making things tough for President Biden's agenda going forward. And right out of the gates, Dan, what do you think? And tell us what's going on in this impeachment trial in Washington. Well, I think you have a very powerful case put forward by these House impeachment managers, the way they've taken video of the January 6th insurrection, uh, laid that together with the president's comments, put that together in a production. Look, they've put together a compelling case. I think they've known from the beginning that the chances of a conviction were slim to none. And from the votes now, we've seen chances of conviction are most likely none. But they also felt they had a case to put together for pros posterity's sake. 
to to put that in the historical record, the the events of that day, to investigate them and and to remember them. Uh, and it has put Republicans, as you mentioned, in a difficult position because you see the the footage of that day. You see the the president's rhetoric and what it resulted in, President Trump's rhetoric, uh, but he still has a, a very strong hold over the primary base in the Republican Party. The base of the Republican Party still likes President Trump very much. So Republicans uh, have to hew to that. Um, and that's why you only see a handful like Romney, uh, uh, Pat Toomey, who will be retiring uh, but not even Rob Portman or uh, Richard Burr, who are retiring, went along on some of these early votes. So uh, it shows that he's got this strong authority over the, the Republican side. Uh, and as you mentioned, that does uh, mean that Biden's agenda is going to have to go through likely on reconciliation because there's there's just not going to be that Republican Party to to make a deal with right now in the Senate. But this kind of puts the Republicans in a tough position. If you're a Republican senator right now, how do you stand out and vote? I mean, we know what Ted Cruz is going to do. But if you come from a more moderate state, what do you do? How do you vote? How do you not vote? How do you keep the Trump base uh, how, still in your camp? Because you've got an election coming up again. Um, and 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 still, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and still, I, I suppose, uh, uphold your constitutional obligations and and your maybe I don't know I invoke your conscience is is it too much to suggest that uh, Republicans or or Democrats or politicians anywhere have a conscience anymore? Well, you can do one of those three, and it's not going to be the latter two. Uh, <laughs> constitution and conscience are are taking a backseat to partisanship right now, and that's that's the ultimate part of it. I think for most of them, the calculus is how soon am I up for re-election? Uh, am I up in 2022, 24, or 26? Uh, that's why I think it was interesting to see Cassidy from Louisiana actually switch his vote uh, in favor of the trial, a Republican. Uh, but he's up in 26. He's got time for this vote to uh, be forgotten. For lack in of our conversation time. earlier, we were sort of suggesting that that means pretty much that Cassidy, in order to hold on to his base going forward, is going to have to vote against the Biden agenda just to show his people he's still a real Republican. Well, that, but also that he may be counting on the fact that five years is a lifetime in political memory when it comes okay. to some of this. Uh, the, you know, the question will be still, what is the shape of the Trump hold over the party? And, and the simple mathematics is that you can't go against Trump and win your primary, but we have to learn whether hewing towards Trump makes it impossible to win the general election. That's the that's the electability question. And it may take cycles of 2022 and 2024 to actually figure that out in the Republican Party. Because I read this morning that I read this morning, Dan, that a national poll just showed President Trump's approval rating at 45 percent, down a couple of points from 47 percent of where it was. Uh, and, and, you know, most past presidents get uh, a fairly high approval rating. But I mean, that's with everything else going on, I mean, that still looks pretty high. That that was a national poll. That's not among Republicans. That's a national poll. Right. And that's that's about where he stood constantly throughout his presidency, his enduring uh, politics as a referendum on Donald Trump. I don't think we've shaken out of that. Uh, anyone's opinion on that has really changed, uh, except at the edges. Now, you talk about some of this stuff. Sure, we've seen about 140,000 people nationwide leave the Republican Party 
Uh, you know, there's some of that data like that. It is becoming much more uh, of Trump's party. But you you probably look at that polling data, and I don't know the exact poll you're looking at, but you would also probably find among Republicans that Trump still has 80 to 90 percent popularity. And as long as he has that hold on the, on the voting base, uh, there's going to be no... Uh, no room, no real air cover for any Republican to show too much uh, independence unless they have their own brand to begin with, like ones like Romney, Collins, and Murkowski have done. Well, let's talk about Romney, Collins, Murkowski, and let's throw in John Kasich, uh, too, uh, there. You know, I'm not sure I've ever said his name right. Is it Kasich? Kasich. Kasich? Yes. Kasich with a hard ick? Yeah, okay, it was already, so, it's that kind okay. of Eastern okay, European. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to work on my Ger German European. Okay, okay. Um, like clearing a furball out of my throat or something. <laughs> I got it. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, because with, with those Republican senators, there has been talk that we might see a third party develop. There might be the Trump party that moves over uh, to one side. And then you have these centrist Republicans. They're called centrist Republicans. Uh, they're not right-wing Republicans, certainly. and But they feel like left-wing Republicans because there's so many, you know, because the right is so far right. This They feel, yeah. feel left-wing. Anyway, d does that happen? Does this party ever get together again? Will it be the split party? And what is the Republican Party agenda going forward? Well, that, that's a very good question to ask, Michael. And I think that's what the challenge of being in the middle of a party realignment. There are many in the party who see its future as being something more Trumpian, more focused on American workers, limited government, things of that nature. Uh, but it really means turning a back on corporate America's interests or, uh, you know, questions about what the viability of the GOP is in, in areas like the, the suburbs, which are truly the vote-rich swing areas of these states when you look at elections. So the party is in a transition now. You often talk about creating a third party, but we forget how much of American infrastructure, electoral infrastructure, ballot right. access, the rules of getting into elections, just the very nature of first-past-the-post elections, makes it really hard for a third party to be viable in any other way, even throughout history. Look, we've, you know, we very rarely have had a viable third party in American politics. So I think it's much more of a uh, sitting and seeing what the battle of the soul of the GOP is going to be, rather than waiting for, for another party to come out and seeing how these parties realign, because uh, the Democratic Party is becoming also much more of a professional, educated class, urban political party, while the Republican Party is focused much more on a world well, I mean, workers agenda. You know, Ross Perot, I think, showed us that if, you, if, if, you, if you're going to split off that vote, you're going to ensure the Democratic win. Uh, right. It could be. I mean, if you if you try to do this permanently, it look, could be for generations, couldn't it? Because you're 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 still trying to attract that more conservative, uh, I, I think, uh, laissez-faire voter, aren't you? Well, that and it, it, I think it's also going to depend on the district and state. In a, I imagine a party like that could actually probably split votes away from a uh, from a dem from a moderate Democrat to in in red states. So it you know that dynamic changes. Um, but ultimately, you know, it becomes a question of how the Republican Party realigns. And when you think about the Republican Party, uh, you know, look at the future of the Republican Party and say, you know, I, I see two scenarios. One, I see where 
and, and the easiest way to think about it, in one scenario, Tom Cotton is basically the furthest right wing of the Republican Party. Right. And in the other scenario, Tom Cotton's basically the center of the Republican Party. Huh. And that's okay. that's the you know that's the real. What do you mean by that? G give us a quick sketch of Tom Cotton, just so that our listeners can understand. Well, we understand Tom Cotton from Arkansas, very conservative, very you know very opposed to Democrats, very much you know wanted to call out the troops during BLM protests in the summer. So he's no he's no softy, but even he knew that when it, there came a point in January that you couldn't undo the Electoral College. Yes. So it's, as conservative as he was, and with all his aspirations for 2024, right. he still understood that at some point you had to accept Biden was the winner. You had to move on. You had to do the business of the Senate. So if he's the, if he's sort of on the right, you still have a Republican Party working with Biden. If he's in the center and there are people trying to move to the right of, of Cotton, that requires us to, you know, it's going to be a Republican Party that will, one, never believe that 2020 was a fair election. Right. Two, probably continue to place doubt on future elections. And three, we'll have to ask hard questions of all of us because there are trends within the party that are small d anti-democratic when it comes to elections, ballot right, 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 that right. you have to be concerned about. Right. You know, uh, I was talking with uh, uh, my friend, Sir Jeremy McKenzie, this morning. I was telling Kenny, we call him, we wish him a happy 80th birthday. And uh, we did talk about uh, politics. He said, I have to tell you, dear chap, that it is a bit baffling over here as we watch. I was watching CNN yesterday and a number of these trials. And it is, it is baffling uh, to foreigners uh, to, to try and understand what's going to try and really understand what's going on with your government uh, and your electoral uh, college. Is it that works that way? And I said, well, Sir Jeremy, it really does seem over here that the new political mantra is I am the moral imperative, that my reelection is my only moral imperative for a lot of politicians. And he said, yes, actually, it does seem that way, doesn't it? And I, I don't know why Brits always end a sentence with a question. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's just to keep you paying attention, you know, uh, doesn't it? Isn't it? Or just to, just to make it feel like they're smarter than the than the the, the colonists they're talking to. <laughs> well, I, I have no doubt about that. But is, is that the new moral imperative? And we've got to go. So give us give us just quickly what you think in the next couple of weeks. And are we going to go to reconciliation? And how long will that take? And how big will this uh, uh, well, budget spending bill? We're going to have to go with reconciliation to get okay. this through. And I think that 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 makes the the package big. You closer to that one point eight, one point nine range. In all likelihood, though, that takes minimum wage off the table. Um, because minimum wage is not okay. a spending matter, so you can't right. do that through reconciliation. The Senate parliamentarian is supposed to rule on that, but she's busy with this thing called impeachment this week. Right. right. So we'll wait next week. But I think that's more doubtful on the minimum wage than timing anything. on reconciliation, Dan. Timing on reconciliation, going through the process, I still think sometime mid March to late March. Mid March. Okay. Yeah, so this is going to this is going to be drawn out to then. And and how big a how big a spending bill do you think we're going to see? I still think near that 1.8, 1.9 goal, particularly if they start to add. Really? Something. Yeah. Wow. They're, they're look, they're, and the way they're explaining this, they'll look at it, too, and they'll say, this is actually aid money that should have been going out over the fall and winter, is what they'll okay. well, Look, Farcast listeners, that's a difference that you're not going to hear in mainstream media. Mainstream media is going to be telling you that it's going to be negotiated back to 1.5 to 1.6 trillion. 
you're hearing on the forecast, we're getting closer to 1.8, maybe 1.9. Uh, I always say, listen to Mahaffey. This is this is kind of a uh, this is kind of a big deal. When does this impeachment thing end, Dan? And I've got to go. I'm sorry. I imagine impeachment ends by, if not by the weekend, early next week. Early next week, and and uh, the president will be acquitted. Yeah. Along party lines. Uh, I think you'll still have a few Republicans cross, but I'll be shocked if it gets uh, over sixty. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Thank you so much. We're going to be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with Jenny Harrington, uh, one of the brightest voices on Wall Street. To break it all down. Listen to what, talk about what Kenny uh, told us in segment one. Listen to Mahaffey. And now, what do we do with portfolios and what's she going to expect and how does this change her strategy? Stay with us. We're going to be right back. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. We're back. Thanks for being with us again this week on the Farcast. Joining me now, what a great treat. One of really the uh, bright stars in Wall Street's night sky, Jenny Harrington is the CEO and a portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. She is a CNBC contributor when you see Jenny Harrington on CNBC. Let me tell you, take it off a of mute and listen to Jenny, because that's what we're going to get to do this morning. Welcome, Jenny. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's fun to be here. We are glad you're here. We were listening to Kenny Polcari this morning talk about the market kind of being in need of a pullback. We listened to Dan Mahaffey talk about maybe this next stimulus bill coming sometime in March through reconciliation. Nothing much, in his opinion, happening before then. Kenny's saying, why do stocks go higher from here when they're making all-time highs anyway? And I gave him some reasons. A pullback seems likely. Do we care? What are you watching at Gilman Hill? Well, I think a pullback is always likely, right? Yes, I do too. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that fun to say? It's just sort of like, oh, good. We can get around that. We get yeah, up past that. Now. I, I often say something reasonably glib and obnoxious to my clients about this. But whenever they say, when's the next big correction coming? When's the next big pullback coming? Right. I'll say, I have no idea. But no, what I, I do know no for idea. sure is that we're one day closer. And yeah. I think that's true. And you and I are long-term investors. And when you're a long-term investor, you set up the portfolio knowing that corrections are coming, knowing that pullbacks are coming, and having a portfolio constructed such that you get through it. I have a cheesy greeting card that I send to my clients sometimes when they're really stressing out. And it says something, something to the extent of like, life's not about avoiding the storm. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And I know that's cheesy. I like it. 
Thank you. I could send I, you. I couldn't. I like it. I can't send it. I can't use it. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm much too insecure, I think, to do that. But, but, but yes. But it is funny because I do think, you know, I do think we set our portfolios up for that, not trying to avoid the, when you're a long-term investor, you set your portfolio up for that, not trying to avoid the storm, but knowing that you can get through it. So I, I think it's an interesting construction in the market. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out the right vocabulary to explain this. So I wouldn't necessarily say the market's in a bubble. And I wouldn't necessarily say the market's euphoric, but I would definitely say there are bubbles in the market. There is euphoria in the market. And those are two different things. One of the things that I look at is that the top 10 stocks in the market are trading with a multiple of about 33 times. The right. other 490 are trading with a forward multiple of about 19 times. Yes. So I think that's why we see new highs being reached. There's been a massive leadership change going on since September. So it's, if you look at um, Amazon, for example, Amazon's flat since August, yes. totally flat. But yes. there are stocks in my portfolio, which is the have-nots, that are up tremendously. And guess what? They're still below their 52-week highs. But since August, they're up 40, 50, 60%. And I think that kind of bottom half, that bottom, not even bottom half, the bottom 490, the bottom half, whatever it is, as they move up, that elevates the market to new highs. And it does take, I think, a little bit of the wind out of the sails of the bigger bubbly picture. And that's one of the things we were saying, been saying on the forecast, uh, pretty much all fall, which is, you know, we, we, we might not see, I don't think we're seeing a rotation out of the tech leadership, but we are seeing the broader market get a bid, meaning that it, we don't have to have a correction. We don't have to have a 10, 20, 30% pullback right. in tech just for the rest of the market to get your bid. Tech can, tech can stall, tech can stay here, tech can inch up. I mean, a lot of the tech have earnings. Some of them don't at all, but 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 that's when you have somebody do some fundamental analysis and try and understand that. You know, we know, uh, Jenny, that at Gilman Hill, you guys focus on income producing portfolios. We've seen the 10 year treasury go from 90 some odd basis points now up to almost 1.2%. Uh, uh, I don't know if we actually hit 1.2. I know we hit 1.19 and we're back at around 1.15, 1.14 today. I haven't checked this exactly in the past few minutes, but what does that mean to you running an income portfolio? And what's how is it changing your ability to continue invest and try and hit like a 5% uh, bogey for yield uh, in this environment? So, it's a weird setup to have interest rates going up right now and actually be positive for this portfolio. And this is different than it has been historically. So historically, when interest rates go up, the bond proxies, right? The yes. partnerships, the, the master limited partnerships, the REITs, the utilities, those suffer because as they compare to actual bonds, then the yields become less favorable. But at only 1.2 at best on the 10-year treasury right now, they're still unbelievably attractive. There is still no place to find real yield except in the equity markets. So that isn't changing. Um, what I think is in sorry, one other thing on that. Even historically, yeah. when say the 10-year went from like three and a half to four, right? What you'd see is there would be the knee-jerk reaction, which would right. be like, oh my God, the bond proxies are going to suffer. They're not as attractive. But then the reality is, is REITs, real estate investment trusts, utilities, master limited partnerships, they are real businesses. And when interest rates are going up, that's generally because the economy is strong and strengthening. So what you'd see is there would be a knee-jerk reaction on the share price, but then the business fundamentals would catch up. And if you Google these kinds of things, there's a thousand headlines 
that argue that they go down. And there's a very few number of actual studies. And the actual studies show that in a rising rate environment, even the bond proxies do quite well in the little bit of a longer term, not even yeah, a lot. But you know, Jenny, you, I think you just made a very important point when you're investing in things that have to do with income and have higher dividends. And, and I think probably an argument for, for Gilman Hill, uh, not everything with a dividend is the same. And you have to do that fundamental research to say, wait a minute, there's still something growing here. There's still an expanding business. There's still something that's capturing its its, uh, total addressable market and expanding and has strong fundamentals. So there there are differences in, in, in yieldy stuff, right? Absolutely. And that's such a good point. And thank you for bringing it up. Because a lot of times people say like, oh, I know you're a dividend manager, you should look at this other dividend manager, and it will be a dividend growth manager. Now that's very different than a dividend income manager. Yes. Um, Dividend growth, they may still have a total portfolio yield of say, 1.9 or 2%. Our portfolio yields about five and a half percent. That's a big, right. But here's the thing. The universe of stocks that I have to choose from, because our screen is looking for things with over a three and a half percent yield. So the universe of stocks is about 350 to 400 companies. The portfolio is about 30. And the reason for that is exactly what you just brought up, which is it's not good enough just to say, oh, Philip Morris has a 5% yield or whatever Philip Morris is yielding. You need to say, is there also a long-term growth trajectory towards the earnings and the dividend yield, sorry, and is there, there a supportable dividend yield? Some of our portfolios have a growing dividend. Some don't need to have a growing dividend, but they all need to have a trajectory of growing earnings. And that's where you go from 400 companies to 30, maybe 40. Um, but so it's really hard to find the ones that also have earnings growth. And that's really important to differentiate. Um, can I just add to one other thing that you said about-, about Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah go about, ahead. Um, increasing yields. Because I've got another question too. I know you're going to be okay. shocked that I've got another question, so, but you right, go ahead. I'll, I'll just bang this one out real quick. But I think what's interesting is last year when the 10-year treasury went from 1.6 to 0.6, presumably right. it added three multiple points to the broader S&P 500 index. As I talked about earlier, that wasn't that those multiple points weren't ascribed equally to all 500 constituents. So the dividend portfolio that we manage still trades only about 14 and a half times forward earnings. I think it's an interesting thing to think if going from 1.6 to the low of 0.6 added three multiple points as we climb back up to one and a half percent on the treasury, which looks like where we're headed. Do those three multiple points then get taken away? If yes, who do they get taken away from? And it's hard to argue that they're taken away from the lower companies that have a multiple of 15 times or under. It's more likely that they're actually taken from the frothy companies. So I think this is a weird environment where rising rates actually helps the companies that didn't do as well last year. Um, you know, Jenny, I, 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 I hate to disagree with you. And I don't know that I'm really going to disagree, but I'm, I'm going to be suspicious of that because it's logical. Um, it actually it is logical and it makes sense and and it's what the math would indicate. And yet we haven't seen a lot of logical sort of mathematical reactions in the market. Uh, for stuff that's been expensive tends to just keep getting more expensive to, to where I end up just scratching my head going this. A lot of these market moves for a number of these stocks don't make any sense to me. Uh, the momentum trade still rolls. Uh, people are looking at me saying, uh, "Far Bitcoin's up fifteen thousand dollars in the past two weeks, and you missed it." And I'm thinking, "You damn right, I missed it. I'm going to mix the next fifteen thousand, no matter which direction they go in." I, I don't, I don't get it. But I think 
I think this goes back to your point on the plateauing of the large tech. Yes. Those three multiple points don't need to come out in a decline. They could come out in something like Amazon plateauing at around the 3,300 level while the earnings grow to catch up. Um, on Bitcoin, I don't even like to talk about Bitcoin because it's not, yeah. you know, it's a speculation. It's based on other people's behavior. It's not an investment. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, and this goes back to you saying the numbers don't matter and logic doesn't matter. As I've reflected back on 2020, I think what happened was historically as investors, we totally rely on numbers and we trust numbers. And in 2020, any trust that you could have in numbers was thrown out the window. They yes. were completely undependable. And so what that was replaced with, with was relying on stories. Yes. And that's what drove things and and a whole emergence of new investors who took that old Peter Lynchism of buy what you know to a wild extreme. Yeah. And I think that's rationalizing itself right now. And we see the rationalization not in huge corrections, but we see it in plateaus. Um, and, and what I also think is as we get into this more normal environment where we can trust economic data, where numbers start to rationalize, then the numbers seem to be re-entering the investment dialogue. And I think that normalizes the market. So, you know, you're right. It is pretty rational. And sometimes that always doesn't win out, but it does seem to be, if I reflect back on since September 2nd, when right. I argue we really crested with yeah. the um, divide in um, growth value, you know, energy tech, small cap, large cap, whatever you want to call it. Since then, there's been a huge rationalization between all of those. For example, since September 2nd, um, the Russell 2000, so small cap stocks is up something like 35%. Right, and it might, right. be a off, it might be even more. S&P's up a little over five. So um, so things like that are really starting to normalize, but they're they're being done so quietly because- And it's, and it's been the growthier stuff. It's been the more speculative stuff in that small cap space that really has been doing even better than the mm -hmm. stuff with stronger fundamentals. If you have anything that looks like small cap value, that has been left behind in, in mm -hmm. many ways. But it's- Done well, but not just right? the other. Huh? It's happening quietly because it's not boom versus implosion. It's That's boom right. versus plateau. Boom versus plateau. One of the things over 35 years I've had to do in this business, Jenny, is to take my understanding of fundamental investing, the old Graham and Dodd stuff to which, you know, that, that I grew up on, that I understand and say, this is what creates value. I want to see a defendable moat around my business. I want to see a growth and I want to see these things with these ratios. And then I have to incorporate what's going on in the world around me. So much of it, I don't understand. And you, you talk about the story stocks and the concept stocks. Um, Kenny and I talked about it before too. It, it's challenging sometimes to try and figure out how much is just sort of new that really is the way the world is emerging and evolving and how much of it is just silly noise for which we're ultimately going to have to pay later. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's really a, quite a challenge for a long-term investor to get rid of the noise, stick with the numbers, and make sure you don't miss out on the new trend that, that, that's staring you in the face. That, that is the A, number one hardest challenge. And I think to that, you do toss out some of the old Graham and Dodism, which is like really focusing on certain valuation metrics, and you, yes. and you need to become a lot more flexible and use different valuation metrics and understand the, the bigger picture. I was at a really terrific conference last week hosted by Columbia Business School, mm -hmm. and um, it's a value investing conference. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting listening to the portfolio managers present. What I love about it is you have a whole bunch of value investing PMs, and they all give their process and they yes. talk about different things. So you see all these different processes. And what 
I would say differentiated this conference from years past is people really, and this has been an evolution that, that we've been witnessing for some time, but the definition of value investing and the valuation metrics used to find invest investments has really evolved. Yes. Yes. And it's not saying, and this is where people get mixed up, right? Because when we look at um, indexes and you look at a value index versus a growth index, those indexes draw a line in the sand and they say multiple under this, multiple over this. But that's not real value investing. No. Real value investing is saying, is this company trading at a discount to where it should be? Yes. And that doesn't matter if it's trading at 28 times, you know, or 40 times. It's, is it at a discount? Bill Miller was at the conference and he was talking about Amazon, you know, and it's interesting listening to him tell his whole story with Amazon as a value investor, you know, and say, I've been accused of not being a value investor, but he still thinks that it's at a discount to where it should be. Well, traded. he's still not been a value investor. I'm sorry. I watched the guy by AOL. <laughs> I mean, when he was at Lake Mason, you know, 25 years ago, I mean, he bought all sorts of stuff that had no earnings. It couldn't, couldn't, Graham and Dodd would have gone screaming out of the room and Warren Buffett was saying, I won't touch any of that stuff. But the point remains that philosophically, yes. the belief was that it was trading at lower than the value that it yes. should be. Yes. And that's that's value investing much more than a multiple, much more than a multiple. I spoke with uh, and I never do this, but but a friend asked me and I really enjoyed it. I spoke to the St. Albans School. This is a high school, private high school in Washington. I spoke with their investment club uh, this week. They had some of the best questions uh, I'd ever heard, really. And one of the things that they wanted uh, me to explain was uh, can a stock that is 20 times earnings be less expensive than a stock that's 10 times earnings? And I said, yes. Yeah. Uh, and explained that if the fundamentals are growing twice or three times as fast at the 20 times earnings and the 10 times earnings is, isn't growing and doesn't have a good business and in fact is on the decline, then indeed the 20 times earnings could be less expensive. So it was it was really interesting as you look at that, but I think that's sort of the point you're, you're making is value. So Jenny, we're out of time. And this has been fabulous. I mean, you are so good. She, you, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you Very see good. why I told you she's so good and why you have to listen to Jenny on CNBC. So uh, Jenny, finally, as we go here uh, and Fred and Ethel are looking at their portfolios that are making all-time highs uh, and they're a little bit nervous and they're saying, do we raise cash? What do we do here? Give us some advice for Fred and Ethel before we leave here. I think you always keep your hands on the steering wheel, keep your eyes looking forward. You glance in the rearview mirror occasionally to see what's going on behind you. But as long as you know what your end result is and you have the time frame to get there, it doesn't matter. You know, you don't need to take cash. And we all know, Michael, you're better than anyone that that behavioral, that behavioral um, misstep costs yes. you so much money. So just keep the eyes looking forward. You know where you're going. You know that there's a hundred year history of corporate earnings growing, no matter who's in the administration, no matter what's going on, just focus on the long term. Take focus on the long term. And and while you have those, I think it's great advice while you have your hands on the wheel, while you check in the rear view every so often, keep her steady. You know that there's probably some rain in your future out there. Uh, you're going to drive through it carefully, cautiously, uh, but you will get through it. And if you listen to my friend Jenny Harrington, you might even get out at the rest stop and dance around a little bit. Enjoy it. You get a pullback out there. Buy it. Take advantage of it. Listen to Jenny. Jenny Harrington 
is the CEO and a portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. We're so grateful she's been with us this morning. We're so grateful you've been with us too, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week with another forecast. I'm so grateful, truly am, that you tune in every week, not only in the U.S., from around the world. Thanks to those folks and notes we got from Australia last week. That was really cool. Um, we'll be back again next week. Please share us on your social media. From Naples, Florida today, I'm Michael Farr. See you next week. Thank you for being with us on another edition of The Farcast. And thanks to Michael's guests, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and Jenny Harrington. We love hearing from you every week and try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like us to cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Farm Miller in Washington or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any index, security, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And of course, if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help. And I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our financial professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. We'll be back with you next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the forecast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. <laughs>